Let me tell you about our spotlight sponsor quickly here for the Blaze. It's Jace Medical. Jace Medical is a uh, is a a company that is putting the power of your own healthcare back into your own hands. Uh, there are shortages already of certain antibiotics. I think out of the antibiotics, out of the twenty antibiotics, I think eighteen of them are made overseas. If there's a breakdown, if there's a war, whatever, we don't make stuff anymore. You need to have that supply. You can get a year's supply of whatever your medications are. You can begin with a Jace case. I urge you to go to jacemedical.com, jacemedical.com. Check out what they do. Check out the Jace case. That's the first thing that uh, I did in my family. Make sure we have that on hand. jacemedical.com. Enter the promo code Beck at checkout, jacemedical.com. Welcome to the uh, program from News Radio 610 WIOD in uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. We thank them for their hospitality and hosting me today. Uh, it is uh, day 105 of the hostages, American hostages, being held in Gaza. Have we forgotten them entirely? Um, today is Friday, so we're going to go through some of the crazy news that happened this week. Uh, we also are going to tell you about uh, what the latest is, and I'll show it to you happening in real time. What the World Economic Forum is saying that is the number one problem, and I'll show you how it's being implemented, their correction in real time. Also, we have Douglas Murray on. Uh, this half hour, in about a half an hour, we have um, uh, Senator Eric Schmidt from Missouri. He's coming on. He's going to explain the opportunity that the Supreme Court has right now to dismantle the administrative state, something that the left is freaking out over. Also today, Douglas Murray joins us. Douglas is one of the guys who's on the target list of the World Economic Forum to silence him uh, because he is so well-spoken. He's from England. We're going to have him on coming up in just a few minutes. So stand by a lot to get to. First... Let me tell you about getting a great night's sleep. You want a great night's sleep? It is uh, Relief Factor Sleep. Relief Factor Sleep is all natural, just like, you know, the Relief Factor that you take for pain. This is all natural. It will give your your body a chance to relax, um, to get a good, sound sleep, wake up the next day feeling refreshed, and you don't even feel it in your body. Again, it's all natural. Uh, and when you get up in the morning, there's nothing worse than if you have to take some medicine to put you to sleep. And then you wake up the next morning. I can't even take Benadryl after like five o'clock in the afternoon or I wake up, you know, four o'clock in the morning and I'm just so drowsy. It's awful. Relief Factor Sleep 
is just the opposite. Get a good night's sleep without any of the after effects. 100% drug-free, designed to promote healthy sleep. Unleash the power of great sleep by calling 800, the number 4, relief. 800, the number 4, relief. Relieffactor.com. All right, let me... um, Let me... Let me show you a couple of things that are happening at the World Economic Forum uh, in Davos 2024. They're saying that they're they're starting to become a little more conservative. You know, they've invited some conservatives over there, you know, and uh, they, they, they think maybe they've gone a little too far. Really? I don't believe you at all, uh, nor should anyone else. Why? Because they are progressing on everything that they're talking about anyway. They they will have a new world order if it is up to them. Here's the World Bank president talking about developing nations. Now, what do you need to become a developing nation? Okay, you need skilled labor, you need cheap energy, uh, and that's pretty much it. If you have cheap energy and skilled labor, you can totally transform your country. Okay, here's the World Bank on, uh, on developing nations. Listen to this. Europe lives on natural gas. America generates a great deal of natural gas as well. How can we tell the developing world that they cannot have access to natural gas as part of the transition if we live on it ourselves? And so I think there's a little bit of the issue of trust in each other I actually believe that if you open the taps of natural gas everywhere, you won't be able to close it again. So the wrong answer is to say, let me just do what I want. The correct answer is to say, what's the right way of bridging this situation? These are hard topics. They get emotional. They get political. And as someone said at a lunch a little while ago, the challenge with politics is we know what we need to do. The problem in the democratic world is you probably won't get elected again if you do it. Mm, yeah, probably why you're engaging in all kinds of propaganda. If, Stu, can you help me out? When did natural gas become an enemy of the planet? Well, it's a fossil fuel, Glenn, as you know. Uh, yeah, now, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because at the same time, they'll say, look at all the progress we've made. We've done all these amazing things. Everyone's finally listening to us and turning green. All the gains they've been able to muster have been from natural gas. Correct. Correct. You know, going from something like coal to natural gas is a big cut in emissions. They mm-hmm. get big reductions in their numbers. They have come down because of that, going from one fossil fuel to another, and then they claim success and now want more, uh, you know, solar panels. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I, they have always said eventually they want to get away from it. Some yeah. people will say, well, we, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Others just want it to be taken offline. Well, completely. he wants the world to understand that once we open the taps for developing nations, if we start sending them natural gas and they start developing, you'll never be able to shut it off. And that just can't happen. Oh. Evil. That's an evil okay. sentiment, isn't it? It is. You know, if we don't, if we give them civilization, they might want to keep it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, mm-hmm. what a disgusting way to look at a, a bunch of other people, billion, a billion other people. Just yep. like, you, we can't let them develop. We can't let them have heating and cooling. We can't let them have electricity and modern medicine because then they'll keep wanting it. And that's bad. 
What, what kind of worldview is that? So let me go to the Heritage president. Um, Heritage, uh, they were invited uh, to speak out and tell us what, you know, the world would be like with a new Republican administration. So Kevin Roberts went and he laid it out for him in no uncertain terms. Here's a bit of his speech yesterday. The thing that I want to drive home here, the very reason that I'm here at Davos, is to explain to many people in this room and who are watching, with all due respect, nothing personal, but that you're part of the problem. Political elites tell the average people on three or four or five issues that the reality is X, when in fact reality is Y. Take immigration. Elites tell us that open borders and even illegal immigration are okay. The average person tells us in the United States that both rob them of the American way of life. They're right. President Trump will take that on on behalf of the average American. Elites also tell us that public safety isn't a problem in big American cities. Just travel to New York or Washington or Dallas, Texas. The average person will tell you that the lack of public safety damages not just the American way of life, but their life. President Trump will take that on. Thirdly, I guess the favorite at the World Economic Forum is climate change. Elites tell us that we, we have this existential crisis with so-called climate change, so much so that climate alarmism is probably the greatest cause for mental health crisis in the world. The solutions, the average person know, based on climate change, are far worse and more harmful and cost more human lives, especially in Europe during the time that you need heating, than do the problem and the problems themselves. Fourth, two more here, Robin. The fourth, China. The number one adversary, not just to the United States, but to free people on planet Earth. Not only do we at, at Davos not say that, we give the Chinese Communist Party a platform. Count on President Trump ending that nonsense. And fifth, as we sit here, another supranational organization, the World Health Organization, is discussing foisting gender ideology upon the global south. These are practices that are under review, if not being rejected, by countries in Northern Europe. The new president, especially if it's President Trump, will, as you like to say, trust the science. He will understand the basic biological reality of manhood and womanhood. And do you know why? Not because of retribution, not because he's a dictator, but because he has the power of the American people behind him. And it's connected to Senator Portman's excellent point that in addition to needing a vigorous executive, we look forward to having the popular will inform both the House and Senate in 2025 to pass laws on all of those issues and many others. Ultimately, Robin, I think President Trump, if in fact he wins a second term, is going to be inspired by the wise words of Javier Millet who said that he was in power not to guide sheep, but to awaken lions. That's mm. what the average American and the average free person on planet Earth wants out of leaders. Uh, they, didn't like his, they didn't like his talk or his uh, appearance on the panel uh, very much. Uh, in fact, they're going the other way. They're, they're talking about liberating science now, which is focused on disinformation as it relates to the climate change agenda and everything else. So they've been talking about how the number one problem now is disinformation and misinformation. That is the key problem for this year. Number one. 
short-term risk facing the world. It's not interstate armed conflict, war, climate change, lack of economic uh, opportunity, societal polarization, which is closely linked to misinformation uh, and disinformation, actually comes in third. So, really, wow, that we've got to take care of that this year. Why? Because there are more elections, free elections happening this year than any other time in human history. The elites know they're in trouble if you awaken the lions. But I want to show you, they have been saying all week, they've been talking about how they've got to get a handle on uh, disinformation and misinformation. So let's look at what's happening in real time. This is from the Washington Post. The Internet has been a huge boon for the accessibility of information. There are a few barriers to consuming classic literature or detailed scientific analysis or catalogs of news reports. There's also an exorbitant amount of garbage information, of course, and the entire universe of people who say stuff that think will get people clicks and they'll earn themselves some money. While confidence in American institutions has been in decline for some time, it's not hard to imagine how the economic incentives of the Internet contribute. There is an outsized appetite for derogatory, counterintuitive, or anti-institutional assessments of the world around us. Counterintuitive. I don't know, men having babies. That seems counterintuitive. This is part of because of the alleged scandals that are increasing and in part because Americans like to view themselves as independent analysts of the world around us. The result is there's both a supply and a demand for nonsense or appealingly framed errors. Americans who have little trust in the system can easily find something to reinforce their skepticism, and they often do. This article goes on to say, you should not do your own research. You need to find someone you trust and just listen to them. If I am someone that you happen to trust, let me just say, I do not ask for your trust. I ask that you do your own homework and keep an open mind, even when you think you're absolutely right. If we are not listening to other points of view, then we are saying we know everything. I don't know everything. I hope I'm wrong on a lot of this stuff. Don't think I am. But as soon as somebody comes into my world and says, look, this is the way it is, and can show me logically, not just shut up, hate monger, but can show me the case logically, I'm there. I'm there. I don't want to believe these things, but I do. And what are those things that we believe in? Well, not the things that the elites now believe in. Here's another one. This is from NBC News. Disinformation poses an unprecedented threat in 2024, and the U.S. isn't ready. This according to researchers, technologists, and political scientists. As presidential election approaches, experts warn that a convergence of events at home and abroad on traditional and social media and amid an environment of rising authoritarianism, deep distrust and political and social unrest 
it makes the dangers from propaganda, falsehoods, and conspiracy theories more dire than ever. A U.S. presidential election comes during a historic year. Billions of people voting in elections in more than 50 countries all over Europe, India, Mexico, South Africa. And it comes at a time of ideal circumstances for disinformation and the people who spread it. An increasing number of voters have proven susceptible to disinformation from Donald Trump and his allies. Artificial intelligent technology is ubiquitous. Social media companies have slashed efforts to rein in misinformation on their platforms and attacks on the work and reputation of academics tracking disinformation have chilled the research. Wow, that is I'm so glad we have this information. This information is trust the experts, you know. For instance, the good folks at CNN, who in October of 2016, when there was WikiLeaks and all of the Clinton emails, Chris Cuomo told his viewers, it's illegal for you to possess emails leaked by the website WikiLeaks, and you should not read them. Rely entirely on the media to learn about their context and content. Oh, Wow, so he's got special powers. You shouldn't read it, but he will, and then he'll explain it to you because he speaks Latin. He's the high priest. Um, how, about, uh, how about this one? How about the border? How about COVID? How about the masks? How about six-foot distancing? How about it? the lab leak? That was completely, completely ridiculous. By the way, a new story out uh, from Blaze. Chinese researchers reportedly identified and mapped the COVID-19 virus weeks before China notified the world. The alarming findings raise serious concerns about China's transparency regarding the initial coronavirus outbreak. We told you this in the first year. We knew it, but we were conspiracy theorists. I had it dead to rights. I I showed you on the timeline. These things only make sense if they were already ahead of the game. It's the only way it made any sense. It would be counterintuitive to think that it wasn't a lab leak. But we were conspiracy theorists, and now we know, oh, the rest of the story now we know the truth so i just ask you every time you hear somebody say conspiracy theory you ask yourself have they been right on all of the other conspiracy theories or have they been wrong you have to do your own homework sorry washington post Sponsor this half hour is American Made, American Giant. There's a reason American Made has always carried a lot of weight with people. Because when you know something's made in America, every piece from the ground up, you know that you're getting true quality, a product with true merit made by people in this country for a fair wage. And that's exactly what you get when you shop for clothing at American Giant. Every stitch, every thread, every metal rivet, every drop of ink, 
is made and assembled here in America. You're not just buying clothing. You're investing in the process that will help save our country. We should be doing this with everything. But a great place to start is clothing. The cotton, the milling, the cutting, the sewing, 100% American. So buy American at American-Giant.com slash Glenn. Use my name, get 20% off your first order. It's American-Giant.com slash Glenn. 10 seconds, station ID. Oh, golly. Oh, by the way, as we're talking about misinformation, let me share one other thing. While the Department of Homeland Security has allowed as many as 10 million immigrants, immigrants, to flood our southern border, the domestic surveillance state has prioritized something more important. This according to now found documents by the Media Research Center, DHS paid $700,000 from a counterterrorism program to a self-described, self-described propaganda network to attack conservatives. The source of the funding was the Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention Grant Program, which was created under Barack Obama to target al-Qaeda. That was put on hold and then revived by then-acting DHS head Kevin McAllen. With uh, Miles Taylor, the infamous and insufferable anonymous resistance within the Trump administration, that funding circumvented the White House budgeting process. The beneficiary of the grant under President Joe Biden is the already taxpayer-funded University of Rhode Island's Media Education Lab. Propaganda can also be used for social beneficial purposes, the application read as it outlined its own counter-propaganda model. Indeed, because the public has long been recognized as being suggestible, the United States has long use and has used for beneficial propaganda purposes during World War I, World War II, and the Cold War. So these people went out, they partnered with the White House and the federal government with your tax dollars to equate MAGA supporters as anti-Semites and blaming Donald Trump for creating a darker, scarier, angry, less hopeful country. Propaganda proven done by the people who are lecturing us about disinformation. Glenn Beck. I don't think I'm going to be having any of that. Now, listen. When you kill somebody, even in self-defense, if you have to ever pull your gun, you have to know that you're going to go through hell for at least a year. They are going to come after you. Um, I mean, unless you live really honestly in Texas currently, um, they're going to come after you. And, you know, there should be a process. You're killing somebody. I don't want to pull my gun unless I am sure I am going to kill them. Um, and you don't pull a gun out to wound anybody. That has always bothered me, and there is one step. It bothers my wife a great deal, and I just know her. She would just not pull her gun unless you were harming our children. Um, deadly force is necessary sometimes, but other times it's not. And you can. there's now a burner, a burna launcher that is unbelievable that will has powerful deterrence, kinetic rounds that will push you back, a 60-foot range, 
One shot can anticipate, uh, incapacitate an attacker for 40 minutes because it's launching tear gas. Burna, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Glenn. 10% off your purchase now. Burna dot com slash Glenn. It's like we've got a broken copy machine and just ordered a pizza. Ding dong. Mm. We're going to talk some sexy, sexy things right now. It's going to get kind of steamy in here. Because we're going to talk about ooh, that Supreme Court case that's so supreme. Chevron deference. Oh, yeah. And we have the super hot, super sexy Senator Eric Schmidt, who must appreciate this. (laughs) (laughs) This intro. Hello, Eric. How are you? Oh, Glenn, that's why you're that's why you're a Hall of Famer. Only you. <laughs> I'm thinking about having you on, and I'm like, nobody wants to talk about Chevron deference because it's <laughs> not sexy at all. <laughs> oh man, that's good. So anyway, uh, Chevron deference is so important. What hap- is happening this week, and we'll find out in June. Could it could be? It's not the silver bullet, but it is one of the silver bullets to put our country back onto a constitutional balance of power. Uh, can you explain Chevron deference? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so this is not getting a lot of play. So I, I appreciate you uh, making this as interesting as possible because it's mm-hmm. one of these things that has happened, <clears throat> and uh, really one of the building blocks, this Chevron deference of the administrative state that is really antithetical to the vision of the founders, you know, this accountability, dispersing power. So back in Hang the 1980s, just a second, Eric. Just, can you, can, Sarah, can you help him out a little bit? Just a little bit, Aaron. Go ahead and hit that again. And then Garrett, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm going to have to tune that out. I'm going to have to act like I'm shooting free throws and people right. are yelling at me. <laughs> but um, so basically, Woodrow Wilson, who I would argue is maybe the worst president uh, in our country's oh, yeah. history. Oh, it's getting break, hot in here break. again. <laughs> <laughs> Just made the Woodrow. I'm going to whisper Woodrow Wilson. Um, <laughs> but anyway, right. so you see the growth. You see the growth of these agencies over time and uh, all these alphabet agencies that, that take on enormous power over people's lives. They can destroy businesses and livelihoods and take away liberty. How did we get here? One of the reasons we got here is there's this case called Chevron uh, that was decided in the 1980s that basically said, look, if, the, if Congress hasn't specifically spelled something out, if there's some ambiguity, we're going to defer to an agency's interpretation of that as long as it's quote unquote reasonable. So what that has led to over time is uh, the courts just saying things are ambiguous and then agreeing and going along with an agency's interpretation. This case that's in front of the Supreme court right now, this what's called Looper bright or relentless, which I think is a better name. There's a second plaintiff. Essentially there was a, a 1970s law 
that said uh, for for fishery fishery management plan that uh, would allow observers to be on the vessel. Okay, so that's kind of how it worked. There were observers on the vessel. The government was paying for the observers. Then all of a sudden, more recently, the the agency said, "Well, now you got to pay for the observers." And they said, "Well, wait a minute." That's never how it's been done before. And where does that say it in the statute? And of course it doesn't say in the statute. The agency just wanted it that way. So they lost at the lower court level. This issue is now in front of the Supreme court. It's on that particular issue, but it's about this broader Chevron deference issue. If my hope is um, that the conservative justices would overturn Chevron, this is sort of a Holy grail for people who want to get back to how our founders viewed the role of government, which is correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. I mean, wasn't this written by Scalia? Yeah, no, it's actually one of the great paradoxes later on. So he was an advocate for it. And then later on, as it played out, he soured on the idea. Um, And so, yeah, it's one of the great, it's one of the great ironies. I mean, Justice Scalia, maybe, maybe the greatest, if not one of the greatest um, justices of all time, um, and, and the climate, I think, was different. They viewed it a little bit differently then, but certainly how it's played out, um, this has been a total disaster. So as you know, right. when I was AG and now in the Senate, one, my maiden speech was about two great threats to the republic, the narrowing of the bandwidth of free speech and then the growth of the administrative state. And there's a few things we can do, like Senator Lee and I are taking on the RAINS Act, which would say Congress should have to vote on any new regulation before it goes into effect. That would slow this thing down. You should make them pull back three regs before they issue one reg. There are some things you can do that's deep structural reform, but this court case that was argued in front of the Supreme Court yesterday, they'll probably be handed out, handed down in June, would go a long way in the legal process of defanging these agencies because no longer would the, would the courts just say, well, the agency's in charge of this, this is what they've said, we're gonna go with that. Instead, because, they'll look to the statute and say, what does the statute actually say? And if it doesn't allow it, the tie doesn't go to the runner or the agency. The tie actually goes to the individual. And so you you would empower Congress. They would have to take their power back. They'd have to pass the laws yeah. and the regulations, which is the way it's supposed to work. How? Give me a yeah. real-life big example on how this could change the average person's life if they go, they get rid of this? Well, in the broadest sense, you're right. The Article One branch, our Congress, they're, they're no uh, saints in this either. They have willingly ceded yes. this authority to the agencies because here's the game that gets played in Washington is they say, they go back home and say, I voted for the greatest bill in the world. Yep. And then they say, somebody asks a question, they say, but I can't believe what the EPA just did. Right. Yes. So they get to have it both ways. And what I want to see, and I think what you want to see and what others want to see is make us accountable for this. So if you're going to pass a law that deals with, you know, greenhouse emissions, right? Well, part of the problem now is Congress hasn't done that. Congress hasn't signed on to the Green New Deal. Right. So all of this effort that and the money that's going to China now, all of this is being done by these agencies because the president wants their agencies to go do this. So this would say basically, it, listen, if, if Congress hasn't weighed in on this, you don't get to do it. We're not just going to defer to you because you claim there's some ambiguity in the statute from the 1950s. So this would put the onus back on Congress. 
And uh, that's where it should be, because ultimately, yeah. if you think about the system we have, it's meant to spread out power vertically, horizontally through separation of powers and federalism, right? That's one piece of it. But it's also based on accountability, because every six years in the Senate and every two years in the House, you have to go before the voters and they can actually now say, were you in favor of this? Did you support this? Did you vote yes or right. did you vote no on this? As opposed to blaming it on some agency that nobody has any idea who the deputy undersecretary of, you know, some agency never heard of is. Well, already, you know, we're reading reports that the Biden administration is looking for looking to the administrative officials on ways that they can block anything that Trump might do if he comes in. And that's the problem. The president can come in. But if the structure is there, it's so deep and so um, intertwined with everything, it will take it will take massive time and shears to start cutting those things back. Uh, and meanwhile, they just keep adding more and more and more. That's right. And, and we had, when I was attorney general, we had the student loan debt forgiveness case, for example. Yes. We took that all the way to Supreme Court and won. Glenn, that was, that was a half a trillion dollars that the president thought, <clears throat> relying on some statute that didn't apply, that he could wipe away a half a trillion dollars worth of student loan debt to fulfill a campaign promise. That is not what this country is supposed to be about. What's supposed no. to happen is the question should be put before Congress. Do you want to do this or not? And then we vote on it. And so I do think this case will go a long way in putting that accountability back in our system. And, and I, and, you know, pe- people, well, I think an important point here is beyond just the specifics of how it's going to help individuals or businesses, you know, reign in government. There is also a real important kernel of truth in all this. If you want to understand why people are so frustrated, I think, with what goes on in Washington is they feel like they send people there and things don't really ever change. And part of that is there's this sort of fourth branch of government that's untouchable, which is the administrative state. So if we can do our job, rein that in, this court case is a big part of it. I think over time it's good for the republic because people will, you know, again, feel like, their government or people they send there are accountable to them, not, you know, again, some amorphous agency that no one's ever heard of. Let me uh, let me ask you a final question. I read a lot of um, reports that say the justices were asking the questions that make one believe that they might actually go deep, not narrow, but deep on this. Do you feel that way? I do. I think that probably the justice to watch here is uh, Justice Roberts, who is just sort of well known as kind of an incrementalist. Um, And uh, whether they kind of they've been chipping away at this um, a little bit, you know, over the last, I would say, five to seven years, they've been chipping away at some of this deference. But I think they've got the kill shot here if they want to take it. I think they will. If I had to bet on it right now, I think they will. But it's, it's not a foregone conclusion, but this is the best shot. The people in these legal circles, I will tell you, there's been a desire to find the case that you can put before the Correct. court to test this again. And I th- this is the case. So this is, this is really one to watch. And, and again, it's really under the radar because it's not about you know guns or abortion or some of the things that typically are on the front page, but it would have a really significant um, impact uh, ultimately on the role of government in people's lives. Um, you, the other thing you mentioned, um, quickly, cause I'm out of time, but the other thing you mentioned was freedom of speech. And we have been watching the World Economic Forum and what they're doing. And mis and disinformation is now their number one priority because there's going to be more people in the world voting 
this year than ever before in human history. And they know. Uh, and so they've got to control the spin and the media. And we are already seeing this happening through NBC News, uh, NBC News. Uh, what was the other one this week? And then the Independent that are actually naming me and the Blaze as critical disinformation uh, outlets. And we take this very seriously, obviously. Can we can I give you a shout? And I, I'd like to make sure that your staff has all we look for it specifically and i'm sure your staff does but we'd like to make sure you're seeing all of the things that are coming out on this because it's becoming very very dangerous definitely and it's terrifying glenn as you know our rights are come from god and government's job is supposed to protect those rights principle is the idea of of self-expression your ability to speak your mind and that's why the first amendment is so important and it's terrifying the uh, degree to which these so-called leaders want to control the speech. I guess it's not oh, that yeah. surprising. It's been the way of the world for a long time, but not in this country. The Missouri versus Biden lawsuit that I filed that's in front of the Supreme Court, by the way, uh, is a big part of that. I've also filed legislation, Glenn, you'll appreciate this, to empower every individual that's censored by the government to sue that government official responsible for it directly. So instead of one attorney general doing this, an army of citizens whose rights have been violated to go out I think that will have a deterrent effect. We've got to look for more solutions to stop this because there's nowhere else to go. You look at that World Economic Forum, you've got a bunch of people who are hell-bent on power and control. That's all it is. It's meant to quell dissent. It's meant to intimidate, and they cannot win. Well, as sexy as ever, Eric. As sexy <laughs> as ever. <laughs> uh, Senator Eric Schmidt, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. All right, my friend. Take care. Bye-bye. You bet. Uh <laughs> What a good sport on that one. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Car Shield. You know your your car when it runs out of warranty, we're all just rolling the dice. You know we know it's going to happen at some point, and um, it's going to cost a lot of money. Especially now, everything has gone through the roof. Car repairs are up. I can't remember what it was, but it's some absurd percentage now to fix your car um, for a hundred dollars a month. You can get flexible month-to-month coverage, your choice of an ASE-certified mechanic, 24-7 coast-to-coast roadside assistance, complimentary towing, rental car options, no long-term contracts that you're locked into, and they fix more parts than ever before. It's like 5,000 parts all the way from, you know, the little things all the way to chips and transmissions. Uh, So if you are considering your budget and the whole inflation thing, one other thing you should be aware of, your price will never go up. No matter how many claims you file, no matter how much mileage is on your car, it will never go up. So get carshield.com slash Beck. carshield.com slash Beck. You can also call them at 800-227-6100, but make sure you use the promo code BECK. You'll save 20% on your plan. 800-227-6100, carshield.com slash BECK. The following content identifies as a commercial. Isn't that lovely? The Glenn Beck Program. We'll be right back. I want to thank uh, Grace Blazer and everybody at 610 WIOD for being so gracious today and 
letting us broadcast from their legendary studios. Uh, IOD is, I mean, it's 100 years old. I think it's like 98 years old now uh, and has just a storied history of giants that have been uh, uh, walking the hallways here. I mean, for Phil Hendry, uh, did he start at IOD doing that no, stuff? No, no, but I, that's where I found him. When I, I was yeah. living in that area in the right, mid-90s, I guess, which is a million years ago now, but... Uh, it's a legendary station. That lineup at that time with had Phil Hendry and Neil Rogers and mm. uh, Rick and Suds and uh, Aaron Summers, I think was her name. Um, all, all I know is I remember just that's all I did all the time at that point was listen to WIOD obsessively. It was just the greatest. It was it was insane. The radio station that's really legendary that a lot of people around the country might not know about that period. But man, it was it was impressive. It, it so uh, set, Stu, it set Stu radio came, for a long time. Yeah. yeah, Stu came. You were what, 18 when we first met uh, and he was blowing up balloons at some promotion yeah. uh, and uh, you were working for uh, the uh, promotions department of the local radio station and I was there and mm-hmm. I was about to get into talk radio and he started talking to me about WIOD and how he listened and Phil Hendry and, and how brilliant these people are and I saw something in him. He reminded me of me uh, when I was his age. A loser. Is what I understand yes, what you're saying. Yes, I get it. Yes. I, you know, yeah, and when sure. you're my age now, uh, you'll still be a loser, uh, <laughs> just like me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, we started talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm going to get into talk radio. And uh, I was an absolute loser at the time and, you know, probably had no future. Uh, and Stu rolled the dice and was like, yeah, I'll come in. I you interned for me and we've been together ever since. And uh, we've made something of ourselves. Here I am, Stu. You're not here yet, but here I am at 610 (laughs) WIOD. The Glenn Beck Program.